What's Involved and a special guest, uh, second time on the show, which means we must have had a lot of value to add the first time around. Uh, it is none other than Ross Saunders. Ross, you are welcome, first of all. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, second time around. Um, Ross, you are a speaker, you're a consultant, you're an advisor. Um, your your whole gig, what, what, are, what are you all about? Tell us a little bit in case uh, somebody doesn't recognize the name Ross Saunders immediately. So from my side, I am a specialist in the data privacy and cybersecurity space. I've been a speaker and trainer in that space teaching companies about how data privacy works and cybersecurity works and hacking and all that kind of stuff, uh, but also consulting in that privacy space, which is, is growing at a rapid rate with the legislations ac across the globe. All right, fantastic. Now, now, tell me a little bit about uh, about Ross. How did you get into this whole data privacy thing? I mean, on the one hand, it sounds terrifying, and on the other hand, it sounds like, well, it'll never happen to me. So, so what happened? How did you get there? Uh, well, it happened to me. <laughs> um, ah. So, I, you know, for a long time, I've been in the IT space, better part of 20 years, and working from everything from your entry-level call desk, working my way through networking, got into programming, went into management. And while I was in management, uh, I, I between two events, actually, I, I had a data breach that I was uh, dealing with at a company that, that I worked with at the time. But then I also had my identity stolen around about the same time. And, and that was a two-year process to get my identity back, which bore this huge passion for data privacy and making sure people take care of their stuff because I wouldn't wish either of those situations on anyone. When you, you say somebody stole your, your ID and it's a thing you hear about, you hear on the news or, you know, there's, there's TV programs about it, et cetera, et cetera. But on the one hand, you go, well, it can't be that bad. I mean, how did it impact you? What actually happened when, when they'd stolen your identity? I mean, how does it, in, it, it impact you? I mean, bank account, what, what happens? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the one of the key things with it is is my ID book and things like that was actually not stolen. The, uh, I still am in possession of all of that, but someone fraudulently created a false ID book and things like that, and they went around and started taking out accounts everywhere. So I had clothing accounts. I had, um, I don't know how many cell phones I had in my name, uh, tablets, computers, the whole shebang. So I just kept getting SMSs saying that I've got a new debit order that's gone off. And it, it was really a scary situation. And it, it takes a good year, two years to sort out your credit rating after that because you've fraudulently taken out so much credit and, and there's so much red tape involved. It's just a, it's a nightmare. All right. So this is something, and, and we touched on it briefly the last time we, we chatted, that uh, – South Africa is is wanting to to deal with this this kind of thing and, and your personal information and security etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I believe it's called is it the Poppia Act? Yes. So it it was formerly known as the Poppy Act and it's still commonly known as that. But that they have requested that we refer to it as Poppia, so the Protection of Personal Information Act. 
All right. Now, now, what is what is that all about? Because I've heard about this before, and it's it's been sort of one of those things for a couple of years now. People have gone, yeah, yes, protection of personal information act. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We're going to do it. Um, so, where are we with Papia? Well, so you say a couple of years. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. more than a couple. So <laughs> in, I was being polite. <laughs> <laughs> in in 2013, the the law first came around. And uh, basically, this law brings in a whole lot more uh, protections for the consumer, protection for businesses, things like that, when it comes to handling personal information. So 2013, it came about. We've been waiting for it to be implemented. And I think a lot of what we've seen is people have this this papier fatigue because they've heard of it so many times. Uh, and it's always been, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And every time we hear a date... Uh, we end up as consultants, as attorneys and all that, advertising it, and then we end up with egg on our faces when it doesn't come in. But we got a little bit of hope in December 2018 when a number of the regulations got published. December 2019, there was a call from the regulator to get things going. March 2019, there was a call from the Department of Justice to say, go ahead. Uh, and then we were all set for April 1st, and then it, it, it kind of felt like a very bad um April Fool's joke because the first came and went and no poppy. Um, but that that all changed now on Monday when the presidency announced that on July 1st we'll have it enforced. So uh, it's going to be an exciting time. All right. Now, what does that mean, though? I mean, where where, where are we now? It's going to be enforced, you know. And and you, you've spoken about this 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 poppy fatigue, poppy fatigue. Um, but I mean, enforced how, when, where? What sort of you know, uh, how's it going to impact me, for example? So the act itself has a number of provisions stating how companies should be able should be looking after information within their charge or what they've collected, things like that. Now, this a lot of people make the mistake thinking, you know, well, as long as you've asked for consent and you've got a privacy policy, you're good. But the law is a lot bigger than that. So what they're enforcing as of the 1st of July is a number of the provisions that haven't been in place. So there's eight principles to Poppy, and those are basically going to come in now where you've got to adhere to those eight principles, and you've got a year until the 30th of June 2021 to get your business in line with those principles. Okay, this is starting to sound a bit a bit ominous. Um, my business now, now, now. When you say your business, what what do you, what does this affect? Every kind of business, any kind of business that deals with data. So basically, that sums up every kind of business. Uh, it's everything from your marketing to just your everyday day to day. And what we often often forget is also looking after your employees' data. The fact that you're processing a payroll means you're processing information, means that you need to comply with this regulation. Okay. I'm 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 getting nervous. Should I be nervous or are you <laughs> going to are you going to are you gonna put my mind at ease in, in a little while? Are you gonna do that at least? I, I'm gonna put your mind at ease in a little while, I, <laughs> I, I hope. Uh, it, it really isn't the end of the world. In fact, it, it's quite an exciting space to be in. Because now we start um, playing with the global sense of this. And in all honesty, a lot of the stuff that we see in in Puppy and those eight principles is really just eight principles of doing good business. Um, it, it's 
it's it's accountability it's having security in place it's being open with what you're doing it's it's really good business practice and we can we can dive into those principles a bit i think i think maybe maybe we should do that when we come back because i'm thinking you know we've got obviously what's involved which is the radio show the podcast there's the the website that is attached to that um is that something that's going to then influence my website? Because I know a lot of small businesses are now trying to, well, many people are now trying to make a living online and, and working remotely, et cetera, et cetera. Is it going to, it's going to impact us, I'm sure, isn't it? Yeah. So your website is like basically your your storefront, as it were. Mm. And that's where you, you first put out there that you are doing something good around data and all of that. So there's a big trust factor and, and that comes in beautifully with your websites and, and your front-facing uh, stuff that you do. Fantastic. It is what's involved. My special guest is Ross Saunders. Um, Ross does a whole bunch of things and always battle trying to, to trying to get all of them out. Uh, he's a speaker, he's a consultant, he's an advisor, and he's got a whole bunch of letters behind his name. Um, what it basically means, Ross knows his story when it comes to uh, this new Popia Act. He knows his story when it comes to um, personal information and protection of information, that kind of thing. When we come back, we'll be chatting a bit about those eight principles that uh, Ross just mentioned. And we're back. It is what's involved. My special guest, Ross Saunders. So before the break, we we're going to uh, just discuss those those eight principles. So let, let's talk principles, Ross. Great. So. You know, if I can give a bit of a history lesson on these, I suppose the the eight principles that are are in Poppy really they come from something which was called the OECD guidelines, which were guidelines put together back in the 80s as to how data should be looked after. And the, the cool part with Poppy is is they really align sort of one to one with those principles. So so it's stuff that's been there for a while, and we we can work through them well and and. It's, it's things that are well-defined because of being around for a while. So, I mean, we, we, we have these principles. And the first one that we look at, and this is the same across practically every data protection law globally, and that is accountability and, and holding yourself accountable as a business that you're going to comply with this kind of legislation that's out there. Sorry, that makes sense. There was a bit of a, a bit of a lag there. We'll sort that one out. That makes sense. So accountability, but I mean, yeah, okay, this is starting to, to, to make some more sense for me because uh, you talk about it, it being basically principles of, of good business practice. Yeah. So if, if we list the, the eight principles that we look at and we look at accountability, we look at specifying our purpose of what we do with data. We look at limiting the amount of processing we do on data, not using it for stuff other than what we've said we're going to use it for. We make sure it's up to date. We make sure there's security in place. We make sure we're we're open with people that, you know, we are collecting your data. This is what we're going to do. And then we allow people to participate as well, saying, you know, if someone doesn't want to be on a mailing list, they can remove themselves. If they want to know where you got their information from, you have to be able to tell them things like that. So so at a very high level, those are, those are the eight. And then it, it comes down to how you implement your business process to align with those eight, uh, those principles that, that are there. Now, Talking about this, and, and as you said it, I mean, I think about about mailing lists, and I think about a, a small business like mine. I've I've gotten onto mailing lists that I have not in my life ever gone anywhere near 
uh, those people's websites. And when you try and unsubscribe, I mean, there's one particular guy, and believe it or not, he's actually based in South Africa. I know of him. Um, once you get on that man's mailing list, you, you cannot get off. Um, is this the kind of thing that, that Poppy is going to help us with? Yeah, that's going to change rapidly for folks who you can't get off their mailing list. Um, they're they're going to end up falling foul of the regulator and, and, and possibly fines and things like that. So one of, one of the things that Puppy is going to look at is, is really roping in that opt-in, opt-out mechanism. Previously, we've had opt-out where you can add anyone to your mailing list. And as long as you've got this little opt-out, unsubscribe at the bottom of your mailer, you're good. And, and you've complied with everything. Now with Poppy, it changes around to opt-in. So someone has to have gone and said, yes, I actually want to receive this information and then you can have them on the mailing list. So there is gonna be quite an interesting play within the next year, I think, on how companies are gonna get that consent because you have to have some sort of documented consent for everyone on your mailing list. But again, it, it, it's not the end of the world. There are ways of doing this. All right, but now when when I think of, of protection of, of, of information, et cetera, et cetera, um, I mean, in, in some of the, the, the larger companies that, that I've worked for um, and, and, you know, even a medium-sized company, I think back to, to when I did, uh, did some work with a couple of years ago, they had all of their staff uh, had these, these uh, files, et cetera, on the staff with the, the payment detail. All of that was, was in the HR office. Um, however, the HR office was not always occupied. It wasn't always locked. Um, is that something that 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 Poppy uh, uh, does? Does it address that? Because yes, anybody so, could have walked in there and stolen anything, literally. Yeah. So very much so. And this is where the I'm glad you brought that up because this is where the law starts getting a lot broader than what people think. So when we talk about information, we talk about data, it's not just stuff in the virtual space. It is files, it is notes, it is notebooks. Um, in Europe, they talk about anything that forms part of a filing system, whether it's paper or not, becomes personal information. Now, one of those principles in the, the Poppy Act is, is security safeguards. And that means you have to safeguard the information that's in your command. So if you've got an HR department that is that is sitting with all the group life forms and medical aid forms and your employee onboarding and your bank account details and all of that, you have to, as a company, have documented procedures and documented safeguards that say, look, even at the very least, that HR office is locked and people don't have access when people are not there or when the HR manager is not there. Very much comes into that now. Okay, this is uh, this is sounding interesting. But the thing is, that I'm trying to put on two hats because as, as, as David Watts consumer, I'm going, yeah, great. I'm, I'm happy with this because then my information is flying around all over the place. David Watts, you know, running his own businesses is going, wow, this is going to be really difficult to sort out and, and get up to date and everything. But I don't think it necessarily is. I mean, what is one of the things that you'd mentioned to me in, in, a, in a mail um, is this lawful processing. What, what, what is lawful processing? So lawful processing basically means that you're adhering to those those principles. So we, we talk about when we're going to process your data, we're going to process it lawfully. 
that means that we, you know, on the accountability principle, we have policies in place. So you want to have a, a privacy policy and a data protection policy. This is how we look after data. And that, that's the first sort of layer that you have is that policy layer. Then you get down into your privacy policy, things like that, where you are showing that you're processing lawfully by telling people, you know, this is why we need X, Y, Z data. And, you know, we limit our processing by only doing what we say we're going to do in that purpose. And then we don't use that information for other things, for enriching other lists or selling it on or anything like that. So all those things tie into processing lawfully. And it also ties into, you know, if we're dealing with special information, do we have the consent of the person to do that? If we're dealing with an employment relationship, do we have a contract in place that talks about this data? If we are complying with other laws like BEE, have we specified, you know, that we require this information to comply? So each one of those three circumstances is a different way of processing lawfully, but it's all making sure that we're above board with this information. Okay. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking now, you know, in terms of, um, you know, there's, there's been so much hype over the last while about this this uh, protection of personal information, et cetera, et cetera. There's been the whole thing with um, with Facebook. What are they actually doing with the data? How much data have they, you know, mined and done weird and wonderful things with Google? The same thing. Um, they're not based in South Africa, though. So, so how does South African law, would it apply to them still? So that's the interesting thing with Papia. So Papia, one of the, the exclusions there, I suppose, is that it's a South African law. So for it to apply, it has to apply to, to people within the borders and businesses within the borders of South Africa. But this is where we start looking at that broader global context as well. So one of the gold standards privacy law-wise is the GDPR in Europe, the, the uh, General Data Protection Regulation. And that applies extraterritorially and this is where you see google and facebook really getting slammed by by the processes that they use google just in this last week had a 50 million dollar fine upheld in the, in the french courts because of how they use data um, and they tried to get away from that fine by saying oh well they're headquartered in ireland not in france but it's been upheld by the courts now that it, it doesn't matter so we're seeing these things applying extraterritorially Canada has also applied their laws against the USA so, um, and Facebook in the USA. So there's been a fine issued across the border there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if as this regulation evolves, we do start seeing it applying extraterritorially as well. Fantastic. Before we go into a break, though, one, one quick question. Um, is this Popia Act designed, as you say, to, to protect our personal information um, how much influence does government have on our on, on our personal information? Because that's the thing I'm I'm more worried about. You know, I, I'm one of the a little bit of a radical in terms of that. I don't want the government spying on me either. So th that's the thing. A puppy applies to government too, and and we we saw this start playing out already now with Corona, in that with us building tracking programs and government building tracking and tracing programs for people, the information regulated and, and, and the privacy space was, was lit up because government actually appointed an independent judge to look after the coronavirus stuff. So 
we're already starting to see that space where you know government is going to be held accountable for this too uh, and and i i hope to see that as well because i also get very scared about what information gets handed over the counter at say home affairs and where it goes uh, so I, i'm keen to see that fantastic stuff uh, my special guest is ross saunders this is what's involved when we come back uh, i want to find out about uh, if you've got any sort of special conditions in terms of, of, of your, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, special personal information, things like your race, your gender, your, your sexuality. Where does that all fit in? We'll talk more with Ross when we come back. As I said, it is what's involved. So good to have you along with us. And we're back. My special guest, Ross Saunders. So, so Ross, the question posed before the break was, how does special personal information fit in? Things like, and I mean, it's a very, very sort of touchy subject at the moment, race, gender, sexuality. How does this, this impact us? So this, and, and, and you're right, it's, it's a sticky situation and, and sticky topics and all of that. And that's exactly where the special personal information comes in. The, the way I look at special in, personal information is, is any kind of information that has been historically or can be used to discriminate against someone generally falls in the space of special personal information. So between poppy, between GDPR, other laws, generally these do follow the same lines as well. So we talk about your religion and philosophical beliefs, your race and ethnic origin, your trade union membership, political persuasions, the parties you support, things like that your health and sex life, sexuality, uh, preferences, things like that, criminal behavior and biometrics. Those all fall into these categories of special personal information. And, and we're seeing overseas, it's, it's moving along as well to start including genetic information and things like that becomes special. And, and this requires more control and, and more consent to use that information from people. Okay, I get it. But I mean, if I'm thinking about stuff now, is, is, is this with the Popia Act? Yeah, it's all good and well. Businesses need to, 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 to get with the program, make sure that they are conforming, etc., etc. But as a member of the public, I mean, you know, do, do, do I need to be terribly aware of this? I mean, to a large degree, and I don't know if it's a South African condition, but we, we tend to be very, you know, somebody hands you something, says, fill out this form, do this, do that. Yeah, okay. Cool. What's your address? Cool. No problem. ID number. The whole lot. I mean, we just hand it out. Uh, is there an onus on us to become more aware and more responsible? I think you've just made every hair on the back of my neck stand up saying that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. So there is an onus on people to really start taking control of their information. You, you know, I'm hyper aware of it because of having my identity stolen, because of working in the space I work in, working with ethical hacking and things like that. I see what can be taken and how it can be used. And, and we don't realize the breadth of how information can be used. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, that I've given my name, surname and email address to this place. It's it, the concern is when that those three pieces of information get combined with those two pieces of information from another data breach combined with those four pieces from another breach. And then suddenly the criminals, the, the hackers, they get a, a profile of you and, and they can do a lot more damage from that. Um, 
So I think we do need to really raise our own awareness on it. And we've seen it in Europe with the implementation of their data protection laws. As the laws progress, so people are starting to realize their rights in it and, and people start enforcing their own rights, uh, which is good to see. I would think so, because, yeah, and as I said, South Africa, we traditionally, we just, we don't, we don't ask questions like that. But as I'm sitting talking to you, you talk about the hairs on the back of your neck, Stanger, I'm thinking about, you know, simple things, you know, every day we, we, we go out there, um, we spend a lot of time on the internet, those, those little quizzes that everybody uh, asks you about and find out this and find out that, and mm-hmm. what is your, all of that stuff is, has got data points, hasn't it, that, that people somewhere are recording. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Someone actually uh, shared one of those things the other day with a big warning because it, it was one of these quizzes and the quiz asked questions in different ways. Like, oh, well, if you had to have taken your mother's maiden name, what would your surname be now? Yeah. But one of those questions that we saw in the past, and thankfully sites are moving away from this now, is, well, what is your mother's maiden name to recover your password? So mm-hmm. these quizzes are gathering all this data that can very well be used against you uh, further down the line. And, and the thing is, it might not happen immediately. Like the information could be taken now and then only acted on eight months, 10 months later. My, my identity theft, the information that they got hold of, must have been gathered probably three or four years prior to the, the identity theft actually happening. So we do give away information too easily, I think. Okay, now let's just let's just talk a little bit about this because I still, you know, to, to a lot of people, and, and, and last time we chatted afterwards, I was speaking to some people, and I was like, oh my Lord, this is so scary, and when is this going to happen? And they were like, you know, Ross, maybe maybe Ross's thing was just a, a, an isolated incident or, or something. Have you got any stories? Because you deal with this every single day. Have you got, you know, any stories about, a, a, about breaches? How... how can they happen? Can they happen easily? They can happen incredibly easily. And it, it happen, we, we tend to think of breaches and hacking as being this whole movie scene where you've got these guys in hoodies sitting behind a desk and coding away in a basement somewhere. Uh, that's, that's not really the case. Most of the breaches happen from either negligence in a company or if it's a targeted attack, it might happen in person where people come and impersonate a lift technician in the building so that they get full access and things like that. So often, I mean, we talk about in the hacking space, you just need a clipboard and a white coat and you can get anywhere in a building. And that's that's kind of what happens. So, you know, but probably the easiest thing that we see happening all the time, and it's, it's breaches that happen daily, especially now with people working from home and with lockdown happening and remote work happening, is phishing. And we, we, we see phishing when our banks email us, things like that. But, you know, what actually happens in these situations is somebody gets control of your email account and they don't necessarily do anything with it, but they can access your email account. Now, if they are accessing a director or something, they can send an email to someone saying, look, please change my banking details to this. I've moved banks. Suddenly payroll changes over the the CTO's salary into someone else's account because it looked like the mail came from them. So it's highly risky and it's so easy to fall into that trap where you just click on a link, oh, you need to sign into your email account again, you sign in and then boom, you've got a breach of so much information. 
Well, the most interesting one that's happened to me in the last week or two is um, I got one that to all intents and purposes looked like it came from First National Bank telling me that I had, I think it was 50,000 rands worth of unclaimed e-bucks. Um, and all you need to do is just contact us here, click here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I knew that it was a scam for the simple reason that there was no way on this earth I could have 50,000 rands worth of e-bucks. <laughs> but um, you know how many people do that and they think that they, 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 they're going to get lucky? What amazed me is that they, you know, the, the, the whole way this was put together and the fact that they managed to get my email address, um, it, it, it speaks of a level of sophistication that I would not expect. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there are varying degrees of sophistication as well. And the bank emails are often really well um, uh, impersonated to make it look like the bank. And then you go there and maybe there's one letter missing in the domain. So it looks like you're on the bank's website. And then you put in your card number, your PIN number or your password and email address and then that person on the other side has that information they can then go to the legitimate site and sign in and do stuff but it it, it goes down to incredible levels I, i've dealt with a company that deals with a lot of high wealth investments and their directors are regularly targeted but they are targeted like you wouldn't believe with the kind of emails where the emails will look like it's coming from uh a, a cousin or or a son's friend or things like that where it's really someone's done their research about someone to try and, and get further information Jeez, that is scary uh, ross we, we we're starting to run out of time a little bit um when we come back uh let's let's do a bit of a wrap-up and then uh, maybe we can also uh, chat very quickly about you know how how we compare sort of globally and then just go over what you can do and how you can help. Because to me, it sounds like if I want to go forward with this kind of thing, uh, Ross is the man I need to speak to to help me through this, this potential minefield. So we'll be chatting more about that when we come back. And we're back. Ross Saunders, my special guest. It is what's involved data privacy, data protection, the Poppier Act. How do we compare, Ross, uh, internationally in terms of, of where our law is? This is Probably the most exciting part of, I think, us having the, the Poppy Act um, is is now we are coming in line with where a lot of the world has gone. I mean, when Poppy was, was first proposed and first looked at and back in 2013, it was landmark and it was great. But in that seven years, the world has moved on as well. And, and a lot of other regulations have been put in place. And, you know, to, to give a concrete example with the GDPR in Europe, one of the requirements of that law is that the country that you're dealing with, i.e. South Africa or, or whoever, they need to have data protection laws in place. If they don't, there's a whole bunch of extra contracts that you have to fill in. So, I mean, from my side, I work with software companies a lot and software is global. It, it, you have hosting everywhere. And South African software companies dealing with the EU have such a battle at the moment because there's data protection agreements that have to be put in place. There's model clauses that have to be put in place. There's extra legal agreements that have to be put in place. Once we have Poppy, and if Poppy gets what they call an adequacy rating from the EU, suddenly a lot of those contracts fall away because we're seen as adequate and, and we can do business easier with, with the EU. So it, it's very, very exciting times that we are now 
getting on board with other regulations like the UK, like the EU, like Canada, Brazil, Argentina, Mauritius. I mean, there's a whole bunch of data protection laws out there. Okay, but again, to me, you know, it, it still seems like it could be a bit of a minefield. I must say, I'm, I'm, I'm a little uneasy about making sure that, uh, you know, in terms of what I do, that we're compliant, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure I'm not the only one. Do you offer, I know you do, do you, you speak on this uh, consulting, et cetera, et cetera. What are you offering at this time for people in terms of, of this Popier Act? I have a number of things that I do. So I, I, I do training and awareness so you can uh, uh, comply with this yourself, see what the requirements are, things like that. So I have courses that I run as well as longer term programs coming up, which will be like a 12 week program on, on how to do this yourself. Um, but I also help with advisory consulting and things like that. And, and the, the big thing is to start. You, you've got a year to comply. And if you take a risk-based approach and comply in the most difficult areas first, you're going to get a lot further along than if you try to the letter, do everything and, and all of that. So risk-based approach, having that awareness of what's required of you, and then just starting eat this elephant one bite at a time, uh, you'll, you'll definitely get there. And you, you start with policy, basically. All right. Now, but this is the kind of thing, um, and I think where I'm angling for, as you know, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about business, about small, medium businesses. Um, is this the kind of thing, if, if somebody's listening and they, they are a business owner, small business, and they go, I, I just, I need some help. I need somebody to explain this to me, um, preferably with pictures or whatever the case may be. Can they contact you? Are you, are you open for that? I'm absolutely open for it. I even have pictures and we, I do presentations regularly to uh, small businesses, to um, small and medium companies, basically that don't have their own legal departments, don't have their own compliance departments. That's where I like playing to help people out because it, it can be such a big process and, and engaging attorneys can be very expensive and, and everyone has to comply. So, so yes, I, I, I definitely offer help in this space for SMEs. Wonderful stuff. Now, the best place to get hold of you, um, your website, would that be would that be a great place to start? Website is the best place to start for me, rossgsaunders.com. Saunders spelled S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S, spelled That's Saunders. Still. Awesome. Rust, before I let you go, um, one of the things, and, and I didn't actually get to ask you this last time. I mean, I know you um as as the data protection guy i know you as um the public speaker um what is one thing just one thing about ross g saunders that uh, people generally don't know tell me something interesting something additional because you know you go the data protection guy but there's more to you than that so tell me what that thing is <laughs> um you know probably i have a very soft spot for folks that have moved into management, if we can put it that way. So I know from my career, I started out uh, in the technical space, highly technical space and all of that. And it was one of the most defining parts of my career was moving into management and not having any sort of safety net and totally fumbling and learning my own way. So probably find something on the, on the outskirts of the data privacy side for me is I, I enjoy helping people who, who just started out in management and things like that and, and giving them a bit of a boost and advice and things like that. It, it gives me a bit of a kick helping people who, who've been in that same 
highly technical space suddenly having to look after people. It, it's different space for me, but I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Wonderful, and, and a very diplomatic answer. So I'm going to have to nudge you a little bit more in, in the direction I wanted you to go. For example, Clio. Talk to me about <laughs> Clio. Clio is our Italian greyhound. <laughs> so so we, we have a, a little Italian greyhound that that she she takes the space of, of our child in the house, and uh, she ends up on Instagram an incredibly large amount just simply because of how cute she is and how how demanding she can be in the household. You see, there's one thing that not many people know. That the big animal lover is Ross. And I've got to tell you, Cleo is she's an amazing little animal. I, I liked the post the other day with uh, with uh, her standing outside. Is it the lounge window for an evening game of catch? Yes, yes. Window <laughs> game. She even knows the word. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, thank you so much. So uh, if people want to get hold of you, it's rossgsaunders.com. Um, you're more than happy to help. Uh, if somebody just wants to go help, I need just a bit of advice. You're happy to do that. Obviously, for you, this is a business. So um, I know you, that you, you're, you're guard of your way to help people. But, you know, there's going to be an investment. And I think it's a worthwhile one. Ross, uh, we wish you all the best. And thank you so much for taking the time out and having a chat to us. And thank you for having me. It's been great to be back.